This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Today is the Feast of Mary, Mother of God. It replaced an older feast that, that I've talked about in the past, the Feast of the Circumcision of Christ, which had been a sort of a understood previously as the first passion of our blessed Lord. It was changed after the council, like so many things were, and I've got a couple of classic sermons on that subject, but I thought I would actually change things up a little bit today and actually provide a sermon on the mothership of Our Lady. And this isn't so much a sermon, this is more of an apologetics, written by Father Reginald Garagou Lagrange. He was a priest who was essentially retired during Vatican II, and he represented the outgoing view, the outgoing ecclesiology, the Catholic view, the Catholic wing of the Catholic Church at the Council. He represented orthodoxy. His side is the one, of course, that lost at the Council, as we are repeatedly assured by modernist Rome. This is his work on the Divine Maternity of Our Lady. And it's worth remembering here that this is from a much larger work of his. This larger work of his is, well, too big to do in one piece here, but I will endeavor to cover this throughout the year 2023. Well, here, let us just begin when talking about the Mother of the Savior, which is the work by Father Reginald Garagou Lagrange. Begin here on the 1st of January, on the Feast of, the Mar of Mary, the Mother of God, on the Divine Maternity and the Plenitude of Grace of the Virgin Mary. The two truths which stand out like mountain peaks in the chain of revelation concerning our Blessed Lady, and around which cluster all other truths we hold about her, are her Divine Maternity and her Fullness of Grace, both of which are affirmed in the Gospels and in the Councils of the Church. To grasp their importance, it will be well to compare them, asking which of the two comes first, and gives, as it were, the true Psaga view of all Mariology. In that spirit have theologians inquired which was the greater of Mary's prerogatives, her divine maternity, meaning her motherhood of God, or her fullness of grace. The problem stated. There have been theologians who have declared Mary's fullness of grace her greatest prerogative, the word spoken to by Jesus by a certain woman as he passed in the midst of the people, and his answer have led them to adopt this position. Blessed is the womb that bore thee, and the paps that gave thee suck. But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. See Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 28. On their view, the Savior's answer implies the fullness of grace and of charity, which was the principle of Mary's supernatural and meritorious acts, was superior to her divine maternity, a privilege in itself of the corporeal order only. According to many other theologians, the reason given just now is not conclusive. Their arguments are many. They say that the woman in question did not speak precisely of the divine maternity. She thought of Jesus less as God than as a prophet, whose words were heard eagerly, who was admired and acclaimed, and she was thinking, therefore, of a natural motherhood according to flesh and blood. Blessed is the womb that bore thee, and the paps that gave thee suck. 
She did not speak of the divine maternity as of something which included a supernatural and meritorious consent to the mystery of the redemptive incarnation. That was why our blessed Lord answered as he did. Yea, rather, blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. For it was precisely by hearing the word of God and believing in it that Mary became mother of the Savior. She set her fiat generously and with perfect conformity of will to God's good pleasure and all it involved for her, and she kept the divine words in her heart from the time of the Annunciation onwards. Elizabeth, for her part, expressed this when she said, Blessed art thou that hast believed, because those things be shall accomplished which were spoken to thee by the Lord. See Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verse 45. What a contrast with Zachary, who was struck dumb for not having believed the words of the angel Gabriel. Behold, thou shalt be dumb, because thou hast not believed my words. See Luke chapter 1, verse 20. Nothing said so far, therefore, is sufficient to solve the problem. Which was the greater, the divine maternity as realized in Mary, or her fullness of grace and charity? We much must search deeper for a solution. To make the terms of the problem still more precise, it should be noted that the maternity proper to a creature endowed with reason is not the maternity according to flesh and blood, which is found in the animal kingdom, but something which demands by its very nature a free consent, given by the light of right reason, to an act which is under the control of the will and is subject to the moral laws governing the married state. Failing this, the maternity of a rational being is simply vicious. But the maternity of Mary was more than rational. It was divine. Hence her consent needed to be not free only, but supernatural and meritorious. And the intention of divine providence was that in default of this consent, the mystery of the redemptive incarnation would not have taken place. She gave her consent, St. Thomas says, in the name of mankind. Hence the maternity we are discussing is not one which is merely of flesh and blood, but one which by its nature included a supernatural consent to the mystery of the redemptive incarnation which was about to be realized, and to all the suffering it involved according to the Messianic prophecies, especially those of Isaiah, all of which Mary knew so well. There can in consequence be no question of any divine maternity for Mary except a worthy one. In the designs of God she was to be a worthy mother of the Redeemer, united perfectly in will to her son. Tradition supports this by saying that her conceiving was twofold, in body and in soul, in body for Jesus' flesh of her flesh, the flame of his human life having been lit in the womb of the Virgin by the most pure operation of the Holy Ghost. In soul, for Mary's express consent was needed before the Word assumed our nature in her. To the problem so stated, the great majority of theologians answer that tradition teaches that the divine maternity, defined in the Council of Ephesus, is higher than the fullness of grace, and that Mary's most glorious title is that of Mother of God. The reasons for their answers are as follows. We ask the reader special attention for the first few pages. Once they have been grasped, the rest follows quite naturally. Article 1. The Predestination of Mary. Let us examine first the primary object in the predestination of Mary, in the sense in which it was absolutely gratuitous. Mary's predestination to the divine maternity preceded her predestination to the fullness of glory and grace. This proposition may appear a little too profound for a beginning. In reality, it is quite easy to understand. Most people admit it, at least implicitly. Besides, it throws a floodgate of light on all that follows. Pius IX affirmed, in effect, in the bull Ineffabilis Deus, by which he defined the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, when he said that God the Father predestined Jesus to divine sonship, so superior to adoptive sonship, 
and Mary to be mother of God, in one and the same divine decree. The eternal predestination of Jesus included not only the incarnation itself as object, but also all the circumstances of time and place in which it would be realized, and especially the one expressed by the Nicene Creed in the words, Et incarnatus est de Spiritus Sancto ex Maria Virginae. By the same eternal decree, therefore, Jesus was predestined to be Son of the Most High, and married to be Mother of God. It follows that as Christ was predestined to natural divine sonship before, in signo priori, being predestined to the summit of glory and to the fullness of grace, the germ of glory, so also the Blessed Virgin Mary was predestined first to the divine maternity, and in consequence to a very high degree of heavenly glory and to the fullness of grace, in order that she might be fully worthy of her mission as mother of the Savior. This second predestination was all the more necessary, seeing that, as his mother, she was called to closest association with Jesus, by perfect conformity of her will with his, in his redemptive work. In such and substances, the teaching of Pius IX and the bull Ineffabilis Deus. Thus, just as in Jesus the dignity of the Son of God, or Word made flesh, surpasses that of the plenitude of created grace, charity, and glory, which he received in his sacred soul as a result of the hypostatic union of two natures in him by the Incarnation, so also in Mary the dignity of Mother of God surpasses that of the plenitude of grace and charity, and even that of the plenitude of glory which she received through her unique predestination to the divine maternity. It is the teaching of St. Thomas and many other theologians, when treating of the motive of the Incarnation, for the redemption of mankind, that Mary's predestination to be mother of the Redeemer depended on divine foreknowledge and permission of Adam's sin. As St. Thomas explains, that sin was permitted in view of a greater good, namely that through the redemptive Incarnation, where sin abounded, grace might abound more. See the letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 20. Just as God wills the human body for the sake of the human soul, and yet since he wills that the soul give life to the body, does not create a soul till there is a body ready to receive it, so also God allowed in view of the greater good of the redemptive incarnation that there should be a sin to be atoned for, and he willed the redemptive incarnation for the sake of the regeneration of souls. Thus, in the actually existing order of divine providence, there would have been no incarnation had there been no sin. And in this order everything is subordinated to Christ and his Holy Mother, so that it is true to say with St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 23, All things are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Thus the greatness of Christ and of his mother are in no way lessened by their dependence on Adam's sin. Mary was therefore predestined first to the divine maternity. This dignity appears all the greater if we call that Mary, who was able to merit glory, was not able to merit the Incarnation nor the Divine Maternity, for the Incarnation and Divine Maternity lie outside the sphere of merit of the just, which has as outer limit the beatific vision. There is also another conclusive reason. The principle or beginning of merit cannot itself be merited, since original sin, the Incarnation, is the principle of all the graces and merits of the just. It cannot therefore be itself merited. Neither then could Mary merit her divine maternity de condiglio nor de congruo propria, for that would have been to merit the Incarnation. As St. Thomas very accurately indicates, what Mary could merit by the first fullness of grace, which she received gratuitously in view of the unforeseen merits of her Son, was an increase of charity, and that higher degree of purity and holiness, which was becoming in the Mother of God. Or, as he says elsewhere, 
Mary did not merit the Incarnation, nor the Divine Maternity, but granted that the Incarnation had been decreed. She merited, merite congrui, not condigri, that it should come to pass through her, since it was becoming the Mother of God, should be most pure and perfect. That is to say, she merited the degree, the degree of sanctity which it was becoming for the Mother of God to have, a degree which no other virgin had in fact merited, or could merit, since none other had received nor was entitled to receive the initial fullness of grace and charity, which was the principle of Mary's merits. The first reason for the eminent dignity of the Mother of God, based on her gratuitous predestination to that glorious title, is clear beyond question. It contains three truths which are, as it were, stars of first magnitude in the heavens of theology. First, that by one and the same decree the Father predestined Jesus for natural divine sonship and Mary for divine maternity. Second, that Mary was predestined for divine maternity before being predestined to the glory and the grace which the Father prepared for her, that she might be the worthy mother of his Son. And third, that through Mary merited heaven de condigno that she could not merit the Incarnation, nor the divine maternity, since these lie outside the sphere and purpose of human supernatural merit, which does not ex extend beyond gaining eternal beatitude. Many theologians have considered the argument just given as conclusive. It implies the arguments we shall expose in the following articles, which really are but its development. Much as the history of predestination of a soul is the unfolding of what was implied in its predestination. But we'll leave it there for now. <laughs> this is the kind of work that I think the average person who has a habit of occasionally reading a book could actually grasp the arguments of without needing too much of an explanation. But I think it's also the kind of work people need to work through slowly. It's not the kind of work you just power through. But this is on the predestination of Mary, and today is the feast of the um, mothership of Mary. And some might say, well, you know, this is a post-conciliar feast. Yes, and I have an SSPX calendar in my kitchen, and they say it's the feast of Mary, the mother of God. So we'll cover this today, <laughs> or we did. I'm hoping you found this useful, especially if you're listening to this on the way to or from Mass. Um... It is a holy day of obligation, but, it, you know, it's Sunday, so it falls on a Sunday this year. So um, I hope you uh, – let me know if you get a – if you go to a Mass and you do not get a Marian homily. If you're not told to pray the rosary or given some homily about, you know, Mary's example for our lives or something appropriate to the feast, let me know. I'd be very curious if that was your experience today. So let me know in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. I just sharing this on social media. That helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.